Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, underscore MJ Watson. And today we're going to talk about common mistakes to avoid in your TV scripts. From structure and character to dialogue and formatting, we will talk about what we've encountered over and over again and our advice on fixing them. But before we begin, we did want to mention that we're doing this episode in part thanks to the suggestion of one of our listeners, Max, who sent us an email about wanting us to cover things on what not to do in TV writing from tropes to the business and everything in between. And that idea was just so juicy for conversations that we decided to split it and divide it into several episodes. Yeah, we'll do some further episodes later on common mistakes in your networking or specifically TV pilots or specs or even how you approach the TV business, common tropes to avoid, all that kind of thing. But this week, we're just going to be focusing on the basics of writing a solid script and avoiding those mistakes. Absolutely. And there was something else that we wanted to remind our audience of. Yeah, the other thing we wanted to mention was that we are preparing for our 150th episode of Paper Team. And that's coming up real soon. So we want to know from all of our listeners, number one, what were your favorite episodes and moments from the show? And number two, who were your favorite guests and why? So we're going to be taking a look back at the best of Paper Team moments of the last three years, and we really need your help to highlight the best of the best. We'll even mention you on air and give you a shout out when we read them out. So please send those in to ask at paperteam.co or hit us up on Twitter or even the uh, TV Calling Writers Room Facebook group. Absolutely. And now let's get into common mistakes to avoid in your TV scripts. So first up, we're going to be looking at mistakes that you can make before you have even sat down and started your draft. What are some of those, Alex? Well, the number one to mention is the issue of not having outlined the script before even getting to writing that draft. The reality is that in a, in a writer's room in television, you are going to be spending most of your time breaking stories and figuring out the ins and outs of that very specific episode that you will be assigned to write on. And the same holds true whether uh, you're working on a spec of an existing show or an original pilot. The reality is that before you get into final draft and you start writing those scenes and those dialogues and, and those uh, really interesting character moments, you need to understand the bare bones of what you want to on a structural basis. Yeah, I see this mistake a lot with writers, especially newer writers. You just want to jump in there and you're so excited. You've got all these ideas and you just want to put them on the page. But if you just start writing with no real direction of where you're going and hoping that it works out, you're going to make a lot more mistakes, especially in the bigger picture level. You're going to have issues with your structure, with your story arcs, with your characters, all that kind of thing. And I think that this is one of the main ways that people tend to fall into a lot of tropes and cliches is because when you're just writing off the top of your head, the first thing that's going to come to mind is what everyone thinks of when they come to mind and you're going to end up with these cliches. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you got to remember that television is an act-based medium, very structural and, and so forth. So when you're sitting down and, and starting to write that script, the tendency is to jump right into those meaty scenes, but you got to take a step back and really go through the process of understanding, okay, this is the A story, this is the B story, this is the C story, and, and we're going to talk more about these issues in a, in a few moments. But really, on a macro level, you got to understand why you're starting where you're starting and why you're ending where you're ending. Uh, and that goes arguably for any story. I mean, I'm not really someone to go into a, a first draft and linearly write everything without having some elements figured out. Because in television, you don't have that luxury of just going with the flow and going with the muse and waiting for those ideas to flow through you by some kind of magical uh, deity. You're going to be sitting down and you're going to be banging out those pages week after week. Right. And that's not to say that we're not telling you not to sit down and kind of just free write and put stuff out there and, and not censor yourself while you're doing that. All we're saying is uh, have a roadmap ahead of you before you start writing. Yeah. And it could be as simple as just having bullet point beat sheet. It could be as detailed as having a scene by scene basis for your draft or where you have actual uh, slug lines and uh, basic descriptions, kind of like a traditional outline in television. But whatever the case may be, understand the temples that you're reaching towards, whether those are the act breaks or the content of those different acts. Now, another big issue that people can run into before the draft is not knowing what they are trying to say or what they're trying to get at. Now, this can encompass everything from the themes of the script or why this story is important to you or why it's time or necessary today. 
Yeah, and I think that's a, a very common、uh, mistake that people make in this day and age when the temptation is to just write this awesome, cool action set piece or this really cool emotional journey with these characters. And obviously,、uh, any content needs to be cathartic and compelling, but at its core, it needs to say something. Even something like Transformers is saying something, even if it's just a bunch of robots fighting each other.、Uh, maybe this is a little bit esoterical, but art at its core has some kind of message. Even if it's a, a flimsy element of a theme or value you want to transmit in, in those characters and you want to explore, that's why it's a TV show that's going to last a hundred episodes. It's because you got to have that repetitive or at least a repeatable element of theme and values that you can explore. Something like Lost, for example, was all about identity and reinventing who you are as a human being. And obviously, something like Battlestar Galactica has a lot of themes about politics and、uh, what it means to be human and, and those values. Whether you're writing an existing、uh, episode of、uh, on staff or you. You're writing an original piece for yourself. You need to understand sort of like why you're writing what you're writing at this point. Yeah, this is one of those things that really separates the kind of mediocre or competent scripts from a truly great script. You can sit down and read a very like reasonably written comedy that has some laughs in it, and it's like a workplace comedy or a bunch of friends saying some jokes, and you get a story out of it. But at the end of the day, it didn't. Actually, say anything or mean anything, and because of that, it doesn't really resonate with people, and they're not going to remember it beyond just, oh yeah, I chuckled once or twice here. Absolutely, and I think the same holds true in in drama for any procedurals. The procedurals that resonate the most with people are the ones that speak to something,、uh, whether it's something like Law and Order that、uh, talks about current issues, or something like The Good Wife that talks about more complex issues and shines a light on those problems. I know for our own writing, that's what we're trying to get at. Even though we, for example, person. Personally, I've written,、uh, let's say, a legal trauma procedural pilot, but that pilot is from a specific angle and theme, and、uh, I want to explore those themes in a very specific prism that hasn't been explored in other shows before that. So I think the same holds true for your own content. Another problem that people often run into before the draft is not having that clear ABC story structure figured out. Absolutely, and I think this ties back to the very first issue that we mentioned. When you're working in the TV medium, you're going to be following multiple. Threads at once.、Uh, you can look at something as straightforward as True Detective, which still has a couple of threads. Whether it's the A story in the '90s versus sort of a flash forward、uh, B or C stories, or you can look at something much more convoluted, like How to Get Away with Murder, which basically has the whole alphabet of stories、uh, every episode. Wherever you fall in that alphabet of stories, you need to understand why you're telling this story at this moment, and whether it's an issue of pacing your pilot or it's an issue. Of dividing screen time based on the real estate of your lead characters versus a secondary character, it's very important in that script to understand the difference between an A story, a B story, and a C story. And what you're going to see when people haven't really thought about this level of structure are scenes with. Too many characters in them, too many things going on at once, and we're jumping between different things happening in the same scenes, and it's really not using its real estate properly. The pacing is going to suffer from that, and the the quality and the interest in the scenes is also going to suffer. Yeah, totally. I think another issue is to your point that a lot of the scenes are going to be mixing、uh, the, these ensembles without a clear point as to why they're there. A lot of times, when you look at ensemble shows, again, I'm going to go back to Lost for a second. Those scenes that feature all the characters are either at the beginning of The show, or at the end of it, after the climax, it's very rarely something that you're going to be showing throughout because the audience needs to connect with very specific characters in very specific ways. So if you have 20 characters in one scene, the audience is going to kind of get lost, and the point of view is、uh, is going to be a little bit muddled in that scene because you're not quite sure if you're supposed to be focusing on Jack, on Sawyer, on Kate, on whoever, on Saeed, or whoever else. Whereas if you're going to split them off in small groups, and let's say Jack is going to go on an adventure with Charlie and Kate, then it's Going to be much more digestible for、uh, the reader and the audience to gravitate towards these characters and and even showcase who they are as people. The other thing you're going to see when people haven't thought clearly enough about their ABC stories. Is that they do have a split of different stories? You've got something happening in an A story and something happening in the B story, but they don't have anything to do with each other, and or they don't intersect with each other in some way, and they don't pay off. They're just kind of two separate stories that do their own thing, and it's like you're telling two pilots at once. Yeah, and I think that ties exactly into the other thing we just mentioned, which was having something to say. If you are having the issue of having an A story and a B story that seem completely unrelated, there are sort of two issues at play. One could be on the story basis: why are we telling these stories that are unrelated? But the other element can be on a thematic basis. I think that that can solve the story level. If you're following, let's say,、uh, 
two different stories that aren't connected on a narrative level, and those characters will never intersect, but you still have that thematic through line that justifies why we're following Jane in the A story and David in the B story. You can understand those two parallel threads because it's a show about this very specific theme or telling these very specific stories. And speaking of a, of a character, another issue that we've encountered time and time again is the problem of not having figured out those character dynamics and reason why they exist in the show in the first place. It's easy to fall into that trap of here's an idea for a character and here's another idea for a character and then let's just throw them all in together and see what happens. But realistically, what you need to be doing before you're sitting down to write that draft is figuring out, say, your main protagonist and what are all of their traits and their functions and all that sort of thing. What do they stand for? And then how can I put people around this character to highlight and play on and antagonize and kind of be like the shadows and the highlights of their different elements so that they can clash and create conflict or comedy or drama or whatever it happens to be. They're all there for a very specific reason that has something to do with the dynamics between the cast of characters. Yeah, I'm a, a big fan of having sort of a thematic litmus test where you're going to pick one word or a couple of words to symbolize what the show is going to be about. And I think the same holds true for characters where if you have that idea of the theme or the value or the elements you want to explore in your show, then you can use that element on your characters as well. I think it's important equally to have those characters bounce off of each other and have opposite either perspectives or mirror thematic reasons for why they exist. It doesn't just have to be on a story level, it just has to be connected to why you're telling the story. And I know we keep repeating that element, but the truth is that if you're gonna be telling a story and uh, you're our writer, we gotta understand why. It doesn't have to be an obvious reason or something that's explicit, but at least implicitly, we need to understand why we're living this journey with these people. These characters should have such a distinct characterization and kind of relation to each other that just by putting two of them in the same room or same scene, we should instantly know or have an idea of what's going to happen and why that's going to be interesting before you even introduce a story element or a plot element. If you think about all of the great ensembles, whether they're comedy or drama, you can probably do that with any of them. You, you know if you put Jack Bauer and Dennis Haysbert into a room, <laughs> the kind of conflict and dynamic that's going to be going on there and why that's going to be compelling before you even tell them that a terrorist is about to blow up Washington, D.C. in 24 hours. That's President Palmer to you, sir. <laughs> And lastly, when it comes to a common issue that we found before you even get to the draft phase, simply put, you have an idea and you're running into the draft, but you haven't really run that idea by anyone else before you start writing it. Yeah, it's, it's simple, but it's a very easy thing to do and something that will help you catch a lot of issues if you just give the log line or a little rundown of what you're thinking about writing and where it's going and who the characters are to your friends or other writers or your writer's group. They can point out maybe holes or ask important questions ahead of time, stuff that you haven't seen because you're too close to it. That will help you catch some things early or think about some things before you've gone and spent a month writing your script. Yeah. And even on the more business side, I think it's a great way to understand, oh, this show has been done before, or it's kind of this show meets that show. Have you seen those series before you tackle that idea? Or maybe it's a reps just saying, oh, uh, the market isn't really there for that. This is a prime opportunity for you to understand from an outsider's perspective, okay, okay, this is what works, this is what doesn't work. Now, how do I get things moving to fix those issues? And even from a networking perspective, when you are chatting to people and having drinks or meeting with other writers or executives or anything like that, you can be bringing up that, you know, they'll ask you, like, what are you working on next? And you can give them this idea and pitch it to them and see what excites people about it or see what questions they have about it or what's confusing to them about it. And that's going to be a good, good test run for you to, uh, before you write. And then also later on, they might follow up and be like, hey, whatever happened to that thing you were writing about robotic ducks? Or, you know, <laughs> uh, I'd really love to read that sometime. That's a great point about gauging the excitement of your content vis-a-vis other people, especially when you're brainstorming, oh, should I be working on this thing or that project? You can do sort of like an A-B test with people and just saying, hey, I'm working on this thing. And then you can ask and you can tell someone else, hey, I'm working on this other thing and see how their reactions uh, differ in that perspective. I think that's a great tool to use in your arsenal. The common thread between all of these issues are the more work that you do upfront, the less you'll have to do later. What are you lazy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's dig into some more macro and structural problems that we have found over and over again. And the, the first one 
kind of comes from our paper tease uh, segment that we've done. We've read so many, so many teasers that we can confidently say that one of the most common problems that we found in scripts and especially TV scripts is just a slow start, sort of like a meandering first few pages without real focus or clear direction or establishing characters. Yeah, this is such an important thing, especially when, you know, whoever it is reading you, whether it's an executive or a friend or a showrunner for staffing, so many people are only going to read the first 10 pages or if they're not interested by the time you're done with your teaser or they're not hooked in, they might just put it down and go to the next script. It's so important that you make the focus and the point of view and the premise and you know what's driving the story and get that sense of momentum clear from the beginning. People are not going to sit with you for a half hour while you kind of get things moving slowly. This isn't a feature film where you have the, the advantage of you know, the audience sitting there for two hours, two and a half hours, like you really need to grab people quickly. Yeah. And uh, if the pilot is the microcosm of the entire show, then the teaser needs to be a microcosm of the entire pilot, whether that's an actual teaser, that's only two to seven or whatever pages, or if it's an elongated act one, whatever the case may be, you have the opportunity right there. And then in that first page, in that second page and third page to draw the reader in and make their job easy to read your script. I think that's the key thing is make it easy for people to want to read on. And if it's just two people talking, it better be interesting. If it's stuff going down, it better be compelling. Use that real estate to your advantage. Right. You might think that's unfair that people are only giving your 60 page script, 10 pages to be good or whatever it happens to be. But from personal experience, if it's not good in the first 10 pages, it rarely does get better. And if it does get better afterwards, it's not by so much that I rethink the entire thing and forgive the first 10 pages. You really need that same level of quality or better throughout. And speaking of which, one of the things that contributes to this is, you know, weak or missing act breaks or narrative turning points. You know, you're not actually building to anything, whether that is the end of a teaser with a real punch to hook you in, or whether that's having a good first act break, a midpoint, a climax, that sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, this is actually a common problem in this day and age where you have a lot of OTTs and premium cable shows. Your writers have a tendency to want to write that HBO drama. So they're going to go straight into the outline or the draft and write a whole pilot or a script without any act breaks. Well, truth is that maybe in the output, in the final draft of that script, you may not have actual act breaks built into the, you know, the format of the script. But when you're first starting out and when you're first outlining and when you're first writing that script, you should have act breaks, whether it's five or six act breaks for one hour drama or two to three for a half hour. This is the moment where you need to figure out, okay, that a story is going to twist around page 15 and then there's going to be a second reveal around page 30. This is the moment where you need to hit the gas on those narrative twists and those reveals and keep the pacing going. And the, the closest objective way of figuring out if, if a, a pacing is right for a show is to look at those act breaks and those reveals around those ad breaks to understand, okay, now at the end of act one, the killer has been revealed when uh, that's usually by the end of act three. That's interesting. That's something you haven't seen before. So let's see where this goes. And then you read act two and uh, you realize, oh, wait, this is not a murder after all. It's something completely different. Every act break needs to bring something new to the table. Yeah. In a great script, the act break should be the best thing they've read that act and they just need to know more and what's going to happen next. And if it's a comedy, they need to be laughing super loud at all those act breaks. And it's the culmination of everything that's built up to that point. And I can guarantee you that all of those HBO shows and things that don't you know, put act breaks on the page of their script, they are still breaking those stories with act breaks in the room. So it's going to be important for you to know how to do that if you want to be staffed as a TV writer. Absolutely. And those rooms are comprised of people that blend uh, genres and uh, blend formats. So even in that HBO and Netflix writers room, most of those writers are probably coming from or have some kind of experience breaking stories with act breaks because they came from network shows beforehand or basic cable shows. Something like Mad Men, even though Matthew Weiner didn't want to write to act breaks, the truth is that the shows were written to some level with act breaks because they need to put ads in the show. It's not something that you need to see in a negative way. It's something that you should be looking forward to because this is, again, the moment where you can drive that story forward in clear ways. Sure, maybe once you reach the final draft, you can erase those uh, acts or act breaks, but uh, at least on the first step, you need to establish those matteries. So another macro element that kind of ties in with what we're talking about with having these narrative turning points 
is stories that have no clear goals or stakes or obstacles. It's really just kind of like people sitting around talking or things <laughs> happening, but like nothing is, is really focused or there's no momentum. It's just sort of like, here I am, I'm in a situation. It's blah. You know? how, how are you doing, Nick? Uh, the, the sun is outside. It's, oh wait, no, we're not talking about this episode, right? We're talking about actual episodes of TV. Yeah, that is that is a real issue. Again, you're writing a show, you're writing a story, you're writing a cathartic narrative that should pull people forward, not just uh, some kind of indie art abstract piece that's going to go to Sundance. Maybe it will, but uh, <laughs> that's a different podcast. Right. It just feels like scene after scene of setup. And here is the world existing in a pre-established equilibrium and nothing happens to disrupt that. Or if it does, this is such a common trope, but it's the very last thing at the end of the script. And it's like, oh, something finally happened. Tune in next week. Well, there is no next week. It's, it's so important that you actually have real goals and stakes and obstacles along. Otherwise, you're just a situation, not a story. Yeah, imagine if the pilot of Breaking Bad was just Walter White uh, teaching his class for an entire episode and just seeing his journey as a middle-aged man in, uh, in New Mexico. And then the last five pages, it's like, oh, sir, you have cancer. Mm -hmm. What? I guess I'm going to have to be a meth dealer now. Well, okay, that's like the final five pages, but no, that's actually the start of the entire show. The premise of the show needs to be in the beginning of the show, not the end of the show. And I'm sure we're going to revisit it in our common mistakes for a TV pilot episode. But in this episode, I think it holds true for any pilot whatsoever that every scene needs to have a purpose. And we're going to reiterate it later in this very episode, but every moment needs to have a reason for being, and you need to drive that story forward. You need to drive the characters forward. You need to drive the themes forward, whatever you are trying to say, it needs to advance. It's not a holding pattern for 60 pages. It needs to be a cathartic element every time. Another common mistake that seems to be more and more prevalent, especially in uh, genre pieces, is using confusing storytelling techniques, whether that's an overuse of flashbacks, flash forward, montages. If you're running a pilot or a script, it needs to be clear and concise in terms of your narrative. Now, obviously, I'm a huge fan of nonlinear storytelling and unique ways of, uh, of telling that narrative, but you need to be conscious of why you're using that technique. If you're using a montage, that means that you want to skip ahead and constrict a, a certain amount of time to those couple of pages. And the same holds true for flashbacks. If you're using flashbacks in your episode, there needs to be a narrative reason and a thematic reason for why that exists in the show that you're writing. Otherwise, it's just these flowery gimmicks that don't really advance the whole point of the show. Right. Those techniques aren't there to make your life easier or kind of provide a convenient way to get things out. They they need to really be there for a strong narrative purpose that has some sort of effect on the reader or the flow of the story. You know, one of the things that I see so often is people starting off their entire script with a flashback or a flash forward and then cutting back from it to just everyday life. And the momentum is just killed completely. And it's just boring, boring, boring until eventually we get back to that place. It's like, what was the point of everything in between? Yeah, that, that is uh, something that I've decried on this podcast multiple times before. Uh, it was overused in a, a little show called Alias, where they would start the episode in the most climactic moment possible with Sydney Bristow hanging off a cliff or hanging off a, a building and uh, she's about to get busted and then cut to 40 hours earlier. The whole next 30 minutes is just getting to the point where Sydney hangs off a cliff and is about to get busted. Well, what about that moment? I want to see what happens right after she gets busted or if she, how she gets out of it. I don't want to see Sydney Bristow filling up uh, some exam papers and living her life as a, a random uh, college student. I want to see the meaty part. There are very few pilots that have succeeded and very few shows that have succeeded in doing that on a long-term uh, scale. Breaking Bad, the pilot does start with that opener, but there's a very good reason for why that is. And it is the reason we just said, which is the teaser needs to hook the reader in. And so if it's for that reason, then sure, but you can't just spend 40 pages after that getting to that point. It needs to be very clear that this is the starting point of the show. Speaking of that, another one of the common mistakes that we see all the time are these stock scenes or tropes or cliches that you've seen in every other drama procedural or every other workplace comedy or whatever it happens to be. If, if anything stands out to you as like, oh, it's that classic thing, and you're not doing anything to subvert that or to make it different, then like, why is it in there? 
we'll do a whole episode about that. So we're not going to go too deep into the woods. We will recommend, as always, tvtropes.com. That is going to list every single trope of every single show and movie you've ever thought of. So I'm sure they will have very specific tropes for every single scene in your original script. And speaking of uh, tropes and stock scenes, another major mistake in script is just not having those characters being defined or unique enough, especially when you contrast them with one another. Often writers are in such a rush to kind of like jump into what's happening in their story that they will blow through the introduction of the protagonist in a line and they'll just give us the name and their age and whatever they have to be doing at the time if you're lucky. And <laughs> sometimes that really doesn't give us enough to work with, especially if you haven't injected their voice into the dialogue as much as you could have. And so what we end up with are these thin characters that are hard to distinguish between each other or perhaps you know, your protagonist is well-rounded, but all of the supporting characters around them are just very thin and one-dimensional, or the reverse can happen too. You you throw your protagonist in there, and then you spend a lot of time making these interesting side characters, and no one really has a reason to care about your protagonist. Absolutely. I think that is probably the number one character issue I encounter over and over again, is and even in my own work and other people's work, is just having that main character be too passive for the pilot or the show the episode and you, it's often the case where you have sort of like that fish out of water story where it's someone discovering a new world or uh, a day in the life of and you sort of see the world and the characters around him or her but you don't really see him or her or they acting with purpose in that narrative as they move through that world. It's sort of things happening to them as opposed to them driving the story forward. If you look at a pilot uh, like 24 with uh, Jack Bauer, obviously things are happening to Jack, but much like in life, what matters isn't what happens to a character, it's how that character reacts to what happens to him, her, or they. So that's what you gotta pay attention to, is having those characters be active and also be different from one another in whether it's the description, the dialogue, the way they behave, we need to understand, oh, this is James and this is Patrick, and these are completely different people, even though their names sound very similar in a way. <laughs> yeah, and when you do have those passive characters, you're gonna find a lot of the time they also don't have a clear goal, which is what we talked about earlier, and that's why they're so passive, because they are just reacting to things happening around them and being dragged through the story you know even your supporting characters can have goals and those goals should clash against what the protagonist wants to do and that's how you're going to get conflict and drama and comedy yeah and i think that ties to uh, another issue that we haven't really mentioned yet uh, and that's the blend between ensemble dramas and having lead characters especially in tv the tendency for a lot of people is to have many characters that service many different avenues and many different plots but we don't really have a clear focus would drive on who the leads are besides maybe one or two characters. And that does muddle the message of the story, that muddles the message of the themes, and that also muddles the differentiations between those characters. Because if they all sort of seem to drive towards the same point, then why are we having 10 different characters instead of just the one or the two? Another point that we wanted to bring up on the macro scale, speaking of characters, is this lack of perhaps emotional connection or investment or engagement with those characters, and particularly the protagonist. Yeah, I think the the common advice is, or the common bad advice is to say, oh, make the protagonist more likable. Well, that's not, that's not really how you fix the issue. The issue is about connecting with the character on an emotional level, not being likable. It's about understanding why they act the way they act. And then we can figure out whether we like them or not outside of the movie theater or the TV screen. But when we're in the middle of the story, we need to understand why they're doing what they're doing, not as on an intellectual basis, but at least on an emotional one. Yeah, you want to be able to relate to the characters and their situation, not necessarily that you have been through that yourself or that you understand what that's like, but that you can see, like you said, why they're doing it. And you understand that and you're invested in whether or not they get what they want. Uh, if you just have these characters who are doing stuff and we don't really know why and we don't kind of care about them, then we're not going to care about the script. Absolutely. And you can definitely see that problem many times in uh, horror movies. The classic trope is uh, people behaving in certain ways just because they need to get killed by page 35. And I think that's when uh, people sort of lean in and say, wait, don't don't go behind that door. Not because, oh, it's a cool moment to say, don't go behind that door, but just because why would you go behind that door? Clearly there's something behind it that you shouldn't be going out to. Yeah. Understanding characters' motivations, I think is like you said, another important part of that too. <laughs> Now let's tackle more micro and scene-based common mistakes that we found 
over and over again in TV scripts. The number one issue is easily having scenes that are just a boring or repetitive. Right. That's a fairly simple thing. And obviously you can delve deeper into what it means for something to be boring. I think a lot of it ties back to what we just spoke about and uh, having characters that you're interested and invested in, uh, not having goals, obstacles, stakes in the scene, and sometimes just kind of boring run-of-the-mill writing. Like it's, there's not a story happening. It's just a situation. So try to avoid that uh, wherever possible. All of your scenes should be exciting in some way. And uh, whether that's because we're exploring character, whether it's because we're exploring a story, or maybe it's just fun, entertaining banter, there needs to be a reason for that scene to exist on a macro scale. And uh, the same holds true for repetitive beats. I think a lot of people tend to fall into the problem of wanting to fill the middle acts with content without realizing that there's no reason for that content to exist. And maybe that third or fourth act should be act two instead of act uh, three, four, five. A lot of people, especially in the case of more procedural-based uh, dramas and one hours, at least from uh, the ones I've seen, they do tend to fill those middle acts with repetitive beats that don't need to exist. For example, okay, well, while we already know who the murderer is by page 15, let's say, why do we need to see multiple people realizing that this person is the murderer? The audience already knows this, so we don't need to see other people realizing that. Every sentence, every line of dialogue, every scene and page should be offering something new and interesting. You can't just go back and go over the same things over and over again because you need to hit 60 pages. So uh, definitely keep that in mind. And it's that the classic thing of if you can take out this scene and it doesn't affect the story, you probably should take out that scene. Another common mistake in uh, in terms of scenes is not having a clear point of view or perspective within that scene. And the reason why you want to have some kind of perspective or point of view within the scene is to simply engage the reader or the audience. We need to be living this scene through the perspective. Maybe it's multiple perspectives, but at least one perspective of a character, whether it's uh, the student being called to the principal's office, and maybe it's from their perspective that they're being reprimanded, or maybe it's from the perspective of the principal because they are sort of a sadist principal who just loves to reprimand students for whatever reason. There needs to be a reason for that point of view and that perspective, and the lack of any point of view makes a scene boring and without any emotional connection. Yeah, it's something people overlook a lot. They just write what happens in the scene and they don't really think about who are we seeing this through the eyes of, whose story is this or whose scene is this on a more ma- uh, micro kind of level. And that changes things radically. Like you were saying, you know, for if it's a police interrogation, if we are in the POV of the suspect being interrogated, that's a completely different scene and power dynamic and emotion than it is being the police person interrogating them, trying to get this information. Another thing you often see uh, in scene work is just kind of coming in way too early and we're getting a lot of this banal, hi, how are you? How's your day today? And then it's a page <laughs> before we actually kind of have any sort of action going on or they coming in too late or you know leaving too late as well, sticking around way past the scene is like overstate its welcome. It's always better to err on the side of coming in too late than coming in too early. And uh, usually that's more of a rewrite issue, but especially when it's people meeting each other for the, for the first time, a lot of those scenes tend to have those moments of them either meeting each other or commenting on something. And if you want to make a meal out of those moments, then sure, if you know if it's warranted for the character or the scene or the story. But if it's just a question of seeing the lead character B meet the lead character C, even though the audience already knows these two individuals separately, then there's very little meat to be uh, had or eaten, as it were. Something you'll see in maybe like student films is every scene starts with someone opening the door and walking into the room (laughs) and taking a seat and then things begin. You can just cut to them sitting in their seats already talking, you know, like you don't need that extra shoe leather in the scene. Uh, Another thing on that regard is having your scenes, like we said, not really ending on some sort of punch or button. They just kind of peter out and like, all right, well, goodbye. Or, you know, they just start keep continue to discuss something when we've already achieved the point of the scene. Yeah. And that is an awesome tool to use in terms of those ABC stories we mentioned before. You have the opportunity when you end a scene to then cut to something else. Don't underestimate that power. 
Obviously, you're not going to be editing the episode yourself, but in a way, you kind of are when you're writing that episode. So you have the opportunity and the ability to direct the reader and the audience in terms of how they should process what they just saw. So it cut from a very tense scene to a very lighthearted scene, or you can do the opposite, or you can maybe continue the tension even further and drawing the tension further in with the next scene and so forth. This is a tool that many people just don't really use. They just kind of cut from an A story to a B story without any thematic, visual, sound related dialogue. This is the moment where you have that power. When it comes to scene work, there's often a lot of issues with the dialogue that the characters are speaking. I'd say the most obvious one would be just repetitive dialogue or even everyone kind of sounding the same and not having their own distinct voice, that, that Sorkinitis, but perhaps even uh, less well-written. Yeah, that is especially prevalent in the first couple of drafts because most people obviously write the scene linearly, maybe not in terms of the ABC scenes, but obviously they kind of write a scene straight through linearly. So they kind of tend to write both dialogues at the same time and you realize on a, on a read that, wait a minute, these two people sound exactly the same. And whether that's a case of just having the same intonation, the same uh, verbiage, the same accent, the same uh, grammatical mistakes, you got to distinguish those people up. So another version of the Sorkinitis is just the Tarantino-itis of just having scenes of dialogue with no purpose, just quick banter, which is fine for like a scene or two, but in TV, that rarely works on a consistent basis. Yeah, I think maybe in a feature film, it's a little bit easier to get away with it because you can just have a five minute scene of people chatting about something that's completely outside of the plot just for the sake of like, here's a moment that we're creating and you get to live in it and whatever. But I think in TV, people are just gonna be like, what is this? And that's, it's gonna be cut out in editing before it ever makes it to air. Yeah, I was just gonna say that in a movie theater, you're basically hostage to the movie. <laughs> you're forced to sit through uh, kind of like once upon a time in Hollywood, but- uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that is the issue, especially in TV, where people can just close their tab or switch the channel or thumb down that Netflix TV show. Dialogue needs to service character and perhaps plot, but it can't just service the writer's ego to showcase their fancy skills uh, with banter. And similar to the kind of repetitive scene beats that we talked about earlier, it's also uh, comes up in dialogue a lot where you have these characters stating things that either they know already or the audience knows already. And regardless of whether they need to hear that within the story, you can just kind of shortcut that and assume that uh, that they know and we know and just get on with it. Absolutely. I think this is, again, that we, we keep repeating, ironically, we keep repeating. The, the <laughs> this is bad dialogue, Alex. Exactly. We're repeating ourselves. We're repeating ourselves about just the fact that if you're repeating yourself, maybe people will remember if you repeat it. But the truth is that when you're writing an episode, people have better memory than you think they do, especially when it comes to reveals or elements that are key pieces to the puzzle. And if they don't remember, then that is the time for you to underline those beats when they happen as opposed to repeating them 10 times in that script. Yeah, it's safer to trust your audience and assume that they're going to get it rather than treat them like babies and overly spell it out because then people are going to be rolling their eyes and going, oh, come on, that was so obvious. And to that point, another common mistake in terms of dialogue is the overuse of voiceover. Now, we we already talked about sort of the overuse of flashy, gimmicky, nonlinear tools when it comes to structure and story, but the same holds true for dialogue. Sometimes you don't really need voiceover at the beginning or the end of the show if it's only there to service exposition because hopefully the show itself will be more useful to you know explore that exposition through character and story as opposed to just a character literally stating in voiceover what is going on on the, on the story level. Yeah, the best voiceover juxtaposes with what we're seeing on the screen and sort of subverts that or complements it or, you know, adds or subtracts something in some way. It doesn't just confirm exactly what we can see. And if you're like, my name is Johnny Smith and I'm a junior at Schenectady High School or whatever it happens to be. And then you see Johnny Smith walking in his school uniform at high school. Like, what's the point? You could just yeah. show that scene and have him talking about something else going on in his life. And to that, it also needs to be warranted by what is happening. If it's something like an unreliable narrator, then that's warranted because you're trying to subvert expectations. That's obviously trying to show bias from the perspective of the narrator towards what's happening on screen. But that's different from just someone stating the themes 
of the show. That's another common mistake, especially if you look at as much as I enjoy Grey's Anatomy, that was a common mistake they were making in the early seasons where they would just have Meredith literally state the theme of the episode at the beginning of the show. And it's like, why? what am I watching right now? At the end of the day, I guess we all realized a little something about love. (laughs) (laughs) Sad montage music playing over the top. Got the credits. And the same thing ultimately holds true for writing your prose. If it's unexciting or particularly confusing or unclear, that is a real problem. And it's going to make it much harder for people to engage. They're going to be bumped out of uh, their investment in the story and their understanding of the scene and what's going on. So just kind of keeping it as clear and concise and, you know, poetic, I guess, in a way without being flowery or unnecessary with it uh, is really useful, especially when you're trying to paint these visuals and what's happening in a scene. You really don't want people being like, wait, I have to stop and go back and read this again. Yeah, again, it comes back to making the life of the reader and the audience easier. You want to help them understand what's going on, but also bring them in an interesting way to those visuals and that prose and that action. The classic example is the alien script that just sort of uh, in a minimalistic way drives the eye of the reader to every shot of every moment and slowly revealing what is happening in a scene and then sort of building up on that dread and that tension. And the same can hold true for comedy where you can sort of underline the joke or whatever the case may be through that prose and, and those sort of funny visual gags. And conversely to that, I think there's sometimes a tendency to over-direct and micromanage that prose, whether that's over-directing the camera or the director through sort of the multiple cuts to or micromanaging the actors through the parentheticals of the dialogue. If it makes sense, if it's about sort of expliciting what the intention is, then sure, go for it. Or if it's uh, maybe to draw the eye of the reader or the audience towards a specific element, then again, you can go for it. But if it's just a flowery way of showcasing your directing style and within the script, that's not what a script is for. There are multiple kind of levels of this. And I think when a lot of people start, they think that they have to say exactly what we're seeing through the camera and how the camera's moving and what's going on. And that's kind of the base level. It's like that meme with like the mind gradually like yeah, expanding exactly. at each level. And then you go up to the next level and people are like, no, literally never do any of that. Don't ever direct a camera or say anything like we see. And then that's, you know, sort of wrong again. And you get to this next level where you're like, oh, I can do it sparingly if there's a really good reason for it, as long as you're not overdoing it and that sort of thing. I think that's where you kind of want to be at. Absolutely. And I think that holds true for any of the, the mistakes that we talk about. We're really talking about the extremes of all those examples. These are things we see over and over again. So that is why we are coming down hard on them in this in this episode, seemingly. But that's because, you know, you gotta you gotta use those elements sparingly. And once you've accustomed yourself to how to direct the camera in very subtle, interesting ways that are warranted for the story and the character and the themes and what you want to explore, then that does make sense. But if it's just a flowery way of uh, saying, okay, cut to close on Jack's face, a bead of sweat dripping down his forehead. I mean, that's, I guess, a cool shot, but like, why are we doing this right now in this moment? If it's not an actual reason to showcase the bead of the, the sweat on Jack's forehead. And the parentheticals in the dialogue are another killer. It's like, just trust your actors and the director and whoever to, to understand what's going on in the scene. And if you can't make it clear from the context what's going on, then maybe you need to take another look at everything that's around that rather than stating every single time that this person is being sarcastic or being angry, you know? (laughs) Hopefully the director, the actors, your entire crew is going to get what you're going after. And uh, if they don't, then maybe there's other issues at play than just literally stating what's going on. Let's close things out with everything related to the actual page, whether that's the formatting or everything in between. And the first thing we want to just mention, because we keep having to mention it, is just don't have useless information on the title page, please. Right. You don't need to say that it's registered with the WGA or the copyright office. You don't need a copyright symbol on it. Literally, all you need on there is the, the title, the author, and some contact information either for yourself or your agent or your manager. And that's about it. Some people have some fun and put a little font on there or a picture or whatever, and that's not the end of the world. But the, definitely the copyright symbol kind of thing is is usually marks sort of an amateur writer and people are going to be rolling their eyes at it. Yeah. And the same holds true for watermarks. If you're sending me a script and it's watermarked, unless you're literally 
necessarily J.J. Abrams, there's no reason why <laughs> there should be a watermark in your script that you're sending to someone else. Yeah, you want people to pass your writing around. You don't want to stop. You don't want them signing an NDA and you don't want them you know, having a watermark on the script. Like in the best case scenario is that people love it enough to give it to other people and you're stopping them from doing that. So uh, try to avoid that. Now, flipping to the actual content of the script, a common formatting error is to simply not adhere to proper formatting or at least not being consistent within your own script, whether that's the use of italics, bold, or uh, capitalization. Whatever fancy tools you're using in your script, you gotta be consistent throughout. Yeah, writing programs are gonna do the vast majority of the work for you in terms of the margins and the formatting, so don't mess around with that too much. Uh, but like Alex said, there comes to be some personal choices for writers of what am I going to bold, what am I going to italicize, what am I going to underline, and just make sure you're keeping that consistent and you're not overdoing it. I would try not to uh, do any one of those things more than once in a line and uh, certainly try to avoid doing multiple in a row or too close together on a page. Right, and ties back to what we said uh, in terms of uh, over-directing or over-using the parenthetical, it comes down to what you want to emphasize and why you want to emphasize it. If you're just emphasizing every single word in every single sentence, then you're not emphasizing anything. But if you're using a bold in a very specific line where you know this is sort of a big reveal of the entire episode and this is the moment where we know that Nick is actually the killer I've been talking about for 55 minutes, then maybe I'm gonna bold it or underline it because we need to understand clearly that Nick is the actual killer. How dare you? I'll kill you. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and on the same level, be consistent with your slug lines and be clear about what they mean. A lot of people wonder if I'm doing a, let's say an office drama, should I start with name of office dash the room or should I do room dash the name of office? Again, it comes down to being consistent with the rules that you're establishing. As long as we understand that this is, you know, set during the day, the night, or if it's a flashback, a flash forward, you got to be consistent in that capacity as well. All right, on more of a stylistic level in terms of the formatting and the text on the page, uh, you want to be careful about the white space there and making good use of that. So if you have these big, dense chunks of text that you're expecting people to read through, you know, what is effectively a third of the page all in one big block of text and action, that's going to be incredibly hard and it's going to slow down the read. So you need to be kind of sparing with that and spacing out your action in, you know, images and ideas and then helping all of that flow through to just keep the pace going and not just like make people kind of like feel like they're reading a high school history textbook again. Yeah, that holds especially true for the first few pages. It comes down to the concept that we keep repeating in terms of easing the reader's eye through. You want them to turn the page and uh, make it seem very organic, how their, their eyes are just flowing through the page and going from line to line and dialogue to dialogue. And a lot of people are going to skim through your script. It's not necessarily a bad thing. You want to ease their understanding of that content. So it's not a huge deal if you're going to be on the more minimalist and as uh, and actually I would argue like that is going to help you hone down on what actually matters as opposed to just writing paragraphs after paragraphs of description that don't really add anything. Don't be George R. R. Martin in the, in the Game of Thrones books where you're just describing this uh, beautiful banquet of food for three pages. Nobody cares about that. Yeah, usually less is more when it comes to screenwriting. And going back to the formatting aspect, you need to capitalize character names when we first meet them. And sometimes you bold them, sometimes you don't. I think that's a personal choice, but at the very least, you need to capitalize character names when we're first introduced to them. I know it sounds silly to mention it because it sounds so obvious, but uh, there were many examples of either paper teas, uh, teasers that we received or other scripts that we've read throughout the years where people just don't capitalize character names when they're first introduced, which is kind of like a 101 basic rule. Right, like we said, it, it, it's important because it indicates to the reader that this is the first time we're meeting a character. So if we see a character name that isn't capitalized and we haven't seen that before, suddenly we're gonna go, oh no, I must've missed something. I'm gonna go back and try and see where this character came in. I guess I didn't read that. And when we don't find that, we've just wasted all this time and been pulled out of the script. So you just need to be to understand that that's what people are looking for and that's what you need to do. Now, obviously in multicams and stuff, I'm pretty sure they capitalize all character names always. So there are different rules for different formats, but in general, capitalize your character name the first time. Just make sure you're doing that. Even if it's someone who doesn't seem really like a character name, like security guard, if it's the first time we're seeing security guard, that is their character name, you capitalize it. A couple of other things to watch out for when it comes to character names. The first thing is try to name your characters 
differently, especially when it's a, an original sample or something like that, we have a limited real estate in our mind to remember character names. So if everybody's name starts with J, I'm going to have problems by page three. Who's a James? Who's a Janet? Who's a Jedrick? <laughs> That's just a name I just made up. But in any case, you need to differentiate who these people are. Maybe it's a question of writing down the alphabet and then coming up with names uh, based on the different letters, or maybe it's based on real people, but we need to have different names for different people. Yeah, the same thing goes for names that sound similar. If you have a Ken, a Ben, and a Jen, then uh, you know, we're going to get confused with that too. So try to just mix it up a little bit for, for people's sanity. Also note about omitting character names entirely. Uh, you'll often have characters in a script that will be called things like policeman number three or spectator number 67 uh, because you don't want to burden your reader with remembering pointless names. Uh, however, way too often, your writers go overboard with that idea by actually never naming any characters outside of their five or six leads. Uh, but you got to think about also your script from the actor's point of view. They kind of want a role for them to play. And if you give them a name, at least they have something to work with instead of just a job description. And it will also help the reader track who is important and worth remembering. Now, with that in mind, the rule of thumb that I personally go by is if a character speaks more than a couple of lines of dialogue and they actually have a meaningful interaction with any of the leads, then they should be named. Now, if you're sticking with an unnamed description for whatever reason, then at the very least, make that description memorable and have a point, whether it's like albino goth or headless receptionist. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> There's really no excuse to have angry person number 23 as a character name. Yeah, that's a good point. And on the inverse of that, if it is just some random side character who walks through a scene and doesn't say any dialogue, you don't need to call them like Ken Jennings or something like that, because <laughs> unless that's part of the joke, because then you're like, well, who's this Ken Jennings? And what does he have to do with the story? I'm, try I'm trying to figure this out. Like, And it was just someone walking through the background. It was Jeopardy winner Ken Jennings? <laughs> yes, there you wow. go. <laughs> you got the cameo. That's great. I love the callback couple final thoughts on the whole formatting and on the page elements. Number one, act breaks need to be clearly defined literally within the formatting of the episode, especially if you're trying to write, let's say, an NBC type act break drama, you need to have that formatting down. And uh, like Nick said, a lot of the times your final draft or your highland is going to figure that out. But that's something that a lot of people forget is just the content of, okay, every time you're starting a new act, it's going to start a new page. And so that's going to impact your real estate ultimately in terms of your actual script. Right. And people are going to be scrolling through looking for act one and act two and end of act one and all that sort of thing and trying to see those breaks there. And if it's all just a big jumbled mess and it's meant to have acts, then that's going to be a problem. The last thing, I guess, is super simple, but spelling and grammar. And you'd be surprised how often scripts will still be filled with typos and grammatical errors, even after multiple, multiple drafts, even after you've been using it as a sample for two years or something, you'll still find a typo somewhere and be like, oh, whoops. So just make sure you really look over that very carefully. And especially for super important things like for the love of God, please check your first page for spelling <laughs> typos and errors. If I see a typo on the first page, there's a good chance I'm not even going to bother with the rest of the script because yeah. that just seems lazy and careless. And also like your character names, make sure you're spelling them correctly too. Yeah. I think the moment where I find the most typos is five seconds after I've hit send <laughs> yeah. on the email. So put a delay on that button. Uh, I think you can do that on Gmail or whatever uh, service you use where you can click send and then it's going to send the email maybe a minute or two after. So then that way you'll have the moment of epiphany where you're going to realize, wait a minute, on page 35, I spelled it this way, not that way. And you can make those changes. I feel like everybody loves to torture themselves by giving one last proofread on the attachment on the email after you've sent <laughs> it and then realize your mistakes. <laughs> Sounds like all of us. Uh, and uh, on that note, before we go, do not forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our awesome Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you'll get exclusive content, cheat sheets, merch, awesome episodes, and we can keep producing a great show like this one for you every week. So thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 148. As always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedbacks, opinions, or suggestions for future episodes like this one, you can send them to ask at paperteam.co. Also, don't forget to send in your favorite moments of our past 150 episodes for our special in a couple of weeks. And what are we doing next week? 
Uh, next week, we're going to be doing our paper scraps for August. So we're going to be going all over the uh, TV and entertainment news, as well as your TV writing questions and getting you some answers to those. Can't wait for that. See you next week. See you all then.